So there I was sitting in the classroom, and I was filled with a little bit of excitement, mixed in with a little bit of nerves, and I had realized, you know what, I've trained for this, I know what I'm doing, this is going to be good, right? And it was the first day of the fire department academy. And I had already done several years of service at this time, but I was starting in a new department. And so I was like ready to prove myself. And I was really ready to prove myself because I was the oldest guy in our class too. So there was a little bit of bragging rights about to come in play. And then all of a sudden, here's all this nerves. We're all kind of just chit-chatting, get to know who's in our academy. And then all of a sudden, the door flings open. In runs an instructor. And he just yells, on your feet, this is going to be hard. And we all just jumped to our feet. And inwardly, I was smiling. I was excited that it was going to be hard. I wanted it to be hard because I realized the standards are high. And I, want, I didn't want to just get a participation prize. I wanted to earn my keep. And, you know, Academy, it was hard. But even more so uh, was when we got to this shift life uh, and you get into the shift uh, and you start getting into everything it comes even harder, all right? You thought, okay, I've done the hard part. And then it's like, no, that's not the hard part. Then all of a sudden starts the shift life, and they start training every, every day. We would train hard, and we trained often. Why? Why the grueling process? Well, there's a lot on the line. The lives of the citizens and the comrades are on the line. Thus, the standard is set extremely high. When you take the oath, you realize that you are not part of just, you're part of something uh, you're a small part of something bigger than yourself, and nothing else matters except for the mission. And the same is true for the church. As Christians, we're part of the kingdom of God, not just our local church that we attend weekly. It's something so much bigger than us, and sometimes we lose sight of that. We lose sight of what is actually on the line. It is so much more than just preserving someone's life. It is to rescue people from the eternal damnation and, of, and of spending eternity in hell by introducing them to Jesus. The stakes are the highest, and so then the standard has to be set high too. What we will see today in our passage, we're in 1 Timothy 3. We're in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. And what we will see is that the character is absolutely crucial for those that lead a church because they do not just represent themselves or the name of the church, but God himself. And I don't, we don't have time to go into it today, but if you just read through your Bible on a current basis and just take notice of when God speaks about his name, he takes his name and his reputation very, very seriously. So with people's souls and God's name at stake, the standards are set extremely high because the higher the stakes, the higher the standards. And they are not set high. Uh, they are set high, but they are doable and it's only doable if the person is staying in step with the Spirit. And that's really what they're driving at, is what, who we need leading the church, what they call elders, is someone that is staying in step with the Spirit. And you might be able to fake some of these things for a little while, but eventually the real you will come out. So let's look at this text, and as we do, we'll, uh, as we do he's, uh, while he's addressing just men, Ladies, it's also a time for us, all of us, to take uh, stock of who we are and where we're at in the journey. What do we need to strive for, right? And this helps, uh, helps you boys and ladies know what a real man looks like. 
And we approach this text with God through Paul just finishing telling women's roles in the church. And now the question he is answering is, who should lead the church? So the gears are shifting in the letter, all right? What has been discussion of the church and certain groups in the church ought to do becomes a discussion on what leaders in the church ought to be. For what you do comes out of who you are. And a church and an organization is only as good as their leaders. The organization follows, and it, and it actually they start developing more of the patterns of their leaders. So, put another way, Paul was just, has just addressed issues that have risen due to lack of leadership, and now he addresses who are to be leaders. Because the mission before us is utmost importance and urgent, Thus, the leaders of the church have to be of highest caliber. Their management skill and their purity of lifestyle pours courage into Christians and elicits respect from the outsiders. That's what we're going to see. And what I want you to realize as we go through this is that there's so much more here. And and looking at characteristics of, hey, you know what? That's one that I need to work on, right? And I also want you to realize, as we look at these things, God doesn't say a man is qualified to lead the church if he's a successful businessman or someone well-liked or gets the popular vote. Uh, Yet, that's so often what happens in our church. I know my home home church, that's what ended up happening, all right? We looked at stuff, you look at the qualifications, and you were like, man, there's some stuff that just doesn't match up there, you know? But he's a likable guy, all right? This isn't... what actually would happen, but you know, it's kind of almost like, well, yeah, he's a drunk, he beats his wife, his kids are a mess, he cheats on people, but you know what? He tells some good jokes and everybody likes him. So, all right, sure, I'll vote for him type thing, right? Uh, it's not that, oh, look, he runs a multi-million dollar business. He'd be a great leader of the church. No, God has different standards, different qualifications, and that's what we're going to see. We're going to see that real leaders are recognized by their character, not their charisma. Real leaders are recognized by who they are, are not so much as what they do. Real leaders do not need a title for people to follow them. In fact, if that's what you're after is a title, it's probably a good indication that you're not worthy to be a leader. They have this weightiness that is like gravity that draws people to them, and then they inspire people to greater things simply by who they are. And God lays out the standard and qualifications of what not only a real, ma- a real leader is, but a real man, what a real man is, and one fit to be an elder for his church. So I want to be clear, though, in all of this, that the people of the church are then thus responsible for looking amongst themselves and saying, you know what, that's somebody there that he, we need to keep an eye on him because he could be a good leader for us. And it's every man's responsibility to strive to become such a man that we're going to look at. So, let's, I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll break it down. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. All right, there has to be this desire. We should all be aspiring for this. Everyone should be working to the highest quality. And, and this is the man that I strive to be. This is the man that I would like my daughters to date and marry someday. Right? That's, this is the man that's being described here. But notice, he's addressing the men, right? Such a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. 
He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? A church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. So let's, let's look at these, all right? A, what a real man is. I want you to mention, again, let's look at what is not mentioned is that uh, he has, they don't focus on his job that he has or his accomplishments or his awards or his social class or his race. It's all about character. And it starts above, with this one word, above reproach. It, it does not mean perfection. It means evidence of the Spirit at work in every area of their lives. Is there evidence of a man striving to stay in step with the Spirit? All right? It, it, it goes to kind of understand that when these accusations are flung upon this person, it's like almost like they have Teflon on, and it doesn't stick. It's like, no, we know that's not true. I mean, one of the rules that we have here at the ranch is that the opposite sex are never together alone, all right? So, uh, and for a lot of people, that's, that seems like, why would you do that? Well, if there's never alone, then when all of a sudden the accusation's made of, well, this would happen, it was like, well, they're, all, they're never alone. Like, how is that possible, right? It's about being above reproach. Faithful to his wife or husband to one wife is, is what it said. And what is talked about here, some have said it's more about, like, are they divorced or not divorced? Uh, and, and it's more talking about their faithfulness, their fidelity, that they are committed to their wife, their spouse. And the culture then was the same as today, that marital infidelity was uh, actually common and at times assumed. It was just kind of assumed that you'd be cheating on your wife. Then and today, uh, as well, they hold a low view of marriage. It was more of a cumbersome instead of life-giving. So, a man is not to ha- be having an affair of any sort, emotional, physical, any of that type of thing. Also, he's to be faithful and honor his wife with what he watches, talks about, and thinks. It's not committing adultery with images and videos online. It's being completely faithful, sold out to their spouse. Next one is temperate. All right, this is, I had to actually look this word up, like how, what does this mean? It means sober or, or clear-headed or vigilant. It's free from any form of excess passion or rashness. All right, it's vigilance is the opposite of drunkenness or fuzzy thinking, which in this context has the life of faith. It means that Christians are to be on guard against spiritual laziness. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with watching a movie or Netflix or anything like that, but we need to be vigilant and be watching and avoiding it being habits that draw us away from God instead of closer to Him. How much time are we using in those areas to, to, to relax instead of finding rest in God? The next one, self-controlled. This is being disciplined in all areas of our life, in our health. All right, This is a hard one so many times. All right, self-controlled in our health. This means not overeating or eating uh, unhealthy or not exercising, sleeping too much, too little. All right, because, and here's the principle here is that before you lead others, you need to lead yourself. I'm not saying you have to be, they have to be ripped, all right, or they have to bench 300 pounds or squat 600 pounds. I'm not saying that, but at the same time, you should probably be able to see your feet. All right, and sometimes we need to take that step back and lead yourself away from the buffet and into the gym. 
This is being self-controlled. It's self-controlled even in your emotions. That, hey, God gave us emotions. God's an emotional person or being, all right? We get our, we're created in his image, and so he gives us those emotions. But we control our emotions. Our emotions do not control us. It's being self-controlled in our thoughts because thoughts become action. So it's developing this mental toughness that no matter how hard it gets, we're going to stick it out. It takes control of our impulses, which without control would drive us to excessive behavior. It's self-controlling our words, that our words that we give and the way that we speak them are life-giving and direct and clear. It's very opposite of the culture uh, that our men tend to portray. All right. If the, the, the things that we've mentioned already haven't made that clear, this one is it. Because culture, the way that they say, hey, what it means to be a man, is you basically just give in to your desires. Whatever you want to do, that's what being a man is. So you just, you just control, your emotions control you. And God says, no, you control your emotions through my spirit. It's being a centered leader, that you're constant. You're not wavering. You're able to stand. And this leads to being respectable, all right? This is observable behavior that is evidence of self-control, being self-disciplined. It means doing the right thing no matter what the consequences. It's bringing your inner and outer life together in perfect harmony. And it develops this weightiness, this gravitas that brings that when you step into the room, people notice, all right? Hospital, all right? Hospitality. Uh, All right, this is something that you understand is that People would invite a lot of people into their houses back then, all right, just as we do today. But in the, back then, the honor and shame culture, all right, the way that you, yeah, you had your money, but a lot of times it, a lot of you would get is depending on your honor and shame. So your family name meant a lot, all right? And so then to increase your honor or to keep your honor, you would say you would invite people of like class or higher class to entertain. You would never go and, and have people of lower class than you because that would not bring you honor. And so you would constantly do the cycle that you would invite them over to you, then they would invite them, you over to their house, and that's how you would gain this honor. It would elevate their worth. The hospitality that God is calling for is to make strangers feel like family. In fact, Hebrews 13.2 says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. It's, it, it's making them feel like family, taking the strangers, making them feel like family, uh, becoming uh, refrigerator friends, all right? I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it's basically that you can walk into someone's house and go straight to the refrigerator, and they're not going to blink an eye. That's refrigerator friends, all right? And, and it's making the people that these complete strangers feel that comfortable. And it's more than just sharing a home or a meal. It's, it's filling a need. Hey, you have this need. Let me, let me help you. Next one is able to teach. This is, means the teaching and preaching. And this is what is uh, clarified. And uh, we talked about in verse 11 uh, of chapter 2. Uh, and this is why women are excluded from becoming elders, because part of the eldership is to be able to teach. To, and the teaching means teaching and preaching, all right? Ability to, re, uh, to teach and refute error. So looking at someone, can they clearly explain the truth of God and God's word so that others can understand and apply it to their lives? 
Do they teach God's word faithfully using proper principles of interpretation? Do they know when someone teaches something wrong and what is wrong about their teaching? So we've looked at stuff that they should do. Now the list kind of shifts. And there's four characteristics of behaviors of that are prohibited. And one is not given to drunkenness. All right? Again, it doesn't say not to drink. It just says not given to drunkenness. And drunkenness was not actually spoken against uh, the pagan authors back then. This was very uncommon. The only thing that they would really actually ever address was the sins that came out of being drunk. All right? They would say they'd write about these things like, hey, you shouldn't do that. Uh, but they would never, re- the focus on the actual issue was that they were uh, drinking alcohol to the extent of being drunk. So here's the principles that the church cannot afford to be led by those who allow themselves to be controlled by intoxicating substances that enslave the user and inhibit decisive thinking. All right? It's, it's proven. The stats are there that when you're taking the pot, even if it's legal uh, to anything, it's going to change the chemistry of your brain, and it makes it more foggy, and it makes it harder to make those decisions. And when eternity on the line, you can't have a leader like that, nor should you be a man like that. Not violent, but gentle. This is that uh, where Jesus kind of calls meekness. This is strength under control. When I think of meekness, I think of Superman, right? That you have Clark Kent, all right, right? And that's meek, all right? That's Superman. Clark Kent is Superman, right? And so it's him, when he comes at Clark Kent, all of a sudden he takes that strength. He's still Superman. That hasn't changed. And now he's controlling it, all right? That's the strength under control. And we see this in Jesus' life because Jesus is called, uh, is referred to as two different animals. You know what they are? Lion and a lamb. A lion and a lamb. And we see this over and over again in Jesus' life, that he's a lamb towards those under his care, those that are downtrodden, those that are being oppressed. But then he's a lion towards anything that threatens them, to the religious leaders that are putting rules before the people. That's who he becomes a lion to. And the same principles are here, that we need to do the same thing, that we're not just outright violent, all right, but we're a lamb to all, except when it's time to get, we we also can go that way. Because passive men are just as evil as violent men. The stories that I've heard of girls that have grown up under a passive father and have boys take advantage of them to treat them awful, to beat them, and the dad's like, what? I mean, I didn't, and the, the problem was is that he didn't do anything. He didn't step in. He didn't become a lion for his family, for his daughter. And that's the same thing here is that we're not just outright violent. We're gentle, but at the same time, they, we are created in that way that if we need to, when that long fuse is done and it's something that needs to step up and be done, we can. Not quarrelsome. This is a heated argument or disagreement, typically about a trivial issue. All right, and between people who usually get along and are good, it, it's uh, the when this happens, it brings about this discord, this uh, and instead of harmony, all right, and it's over usually really stupid stuff. Uh, these are there are things worth fighting for, all right, and that's that, don't take that this that we should just kind of be a placemat or a uh, welcome mat and have people walk all over us. 
There are things worth fighting for and arguing about. And a man of God knows and focuses on God's reputation, not his own. And focuses on the purity and unity of God's people. And that's what he will fight for, for the gospel. And that's what the whole message, battle for heart, that's what our whole thing is. Is that there are certain things worth stepping up and fighting for. And they know when to fight and argue for the right reason and do it in the right way. And here's the thing that I was reading this book, and it actually opened my eyes to a whole lot more, is that Jesus actually picked fights that were worth fighting. He, you, you, he knew the tradition of the law was not, to, uh, was not to heal on the Sabbath. All right? he, wasn't a, he was aware of what the Sabbath was, and yet he did it anyways, causing the fight of the religious leaders. And he kept picking that fight, saying, hey, listen, you're putting these laws and traditions before the actual word of God. There's certain things worth fighting for. It's the ability to step on, step on somebody's feet without scuffing their shoe. All right? That's what it, not quarrelsome is. Not a lover of money. All right? This is a healthy detachment to material things, uh, but not irresponsible. It's marked with generosity and simplicity. They realize that everything is on loan from God, so they follow his lead. It's realizing, hey, what is my salary cap? What is it? How, how much do I actually need to live by? And then anything above that? I can give away. I can do God's work with that, right? But the, And living within your means. And then he switches back. He says that they should manage his own family. Uh, and he says, well, and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. I want to focus on that part as well. And the, again, if there was any doubt that the elder could be a woman, here again, it's, he clarifies that it has to be that he's manages his family well, and the man leads the family along with his wife, but the man is firstly responsible. So the question that we look at the family, you can kind of look at the family unit, and are the kids hellions, all right? Is it like every time that they come to your place, you have to call FEMA to clean up the mess, all right? Do, the, do his kids love him, all right? Or do they run away uh, from him? Do they run to him or run away? Does he love his family and have concern for their well-being, or does he just let them run amok as long as they don't interfere with his show? It does not mean that they're perfect, all right? But it means that they're working towards that. And they do so in a manner worthy of full respect. And this is something that sometimes us guys, we get wrong, all right? We go to one extreme to the other. This is not a dictator, all right? You must respect my authority, right? That's not that type of thing. It, it's, it's realizing, hey, I'm gonna, I love my kids, and I'm going to lead them in that way, and then they respect and they follow, all right? Someone who uh, has to remind you of their position or demand respect is usually a sign that they are acting in a way that makes it difficult to do so. People will naturally follow someone worthy of obedience. And, and we see that in the family unit. Not a recent convert is the next thing. And the issue here is not to say that maybe they have, maybe that you can, the, the guy that led a multi-million dollar business is now a, a, become a Christian. We shouldn't automatically put them into an eldership position or leadership position, because the issue here in the church is not about leadership management. It's about spiritual maturity. And because the church and ministry, they're dealing with spiritual things, and thus because theology has consequences. So the church's job, the elder's job, is to look and say, okay, how do we apply this to our people's lives? 
There are principles to learn, but uh, leadership principles to learn, but more than that, you need to know how to walk with God, and that comes with time. There are certain things that you truly learn as you go through life and become battle-tested, that you've gone through the battle and you stuck it out and you learned something from it. And one thing to read about, it's one thing to read about all the answers and have it all right, it's another to live it. And there's... I see this a lot, and you guys will recognize it too, as someone that comes straight out of Bible college. I mean, they basically are reciting their college professor, right? I've heard so many sermons, and I'm like, okay, that's this professor. I, I know who you're talking about type thing. But there's another thing to have someone that's been seasoned, who's gone through life, and they're, speaking, they're bringing biblical truth from an actual, hey, I've lived this. The last thing, a good reputation with outsiders. I used to drive a school bus, uh, when I was in college-age ministry, uh, I would do the morning route and afternoon route. And I uh, came in, and there was, you know, as you're waiting, there's all the tables there. You're drinking your coffee before you go start your route. And I just naturally went to the one table that I kind of knew the guys there, right, and sat down. Didn't realize that there was actually assigned tables of, hey, this is the non-Christian or firefighter table, this is the minister's table, this is the, the judgmental table. I didn't realize that, and I just sat down with my buddy who was a firefighter and was meeting with him, and, and it was interesting seeing the dynamic there. And my buddy, he actually said, you know what, I have so much respect for you and what you do. He goes, I have a really hard time with the judgmental attitudes that come from the ministers over there. And the same thing would happen over and over again, even in the fire station, seeing and hearing some of that, that they would see, the, know what the people do, but then their reputation would be one that would put people on guard. You know, it's, it's one of those things that that shocking conversation that you have, right, that, that shock and confusion when you are talking to someone uh, and they all of a sudden realize they go to church, I mean, that's, that guy shows up to late every day, he breaks their word, he cheats, he curses, he gossips, he backstabs, he sleeps around, and, and, and you're telling me he goes to church, and not only that, he's a leader in the church? It puts a huge barrier, and every time, that, that is what, it makes God furious when we put those unnecessary barriers, and it taints God's reputation. And some... Uh, this is true for all of us, and we need to be aware of all these things with ourselves, like all these different things. We should all be able to say, you know what, this is true for me. And if it's not, then we need to develop those character traits by walking in step with the Spirit. It's, we need to live in such a way that it's inviting to the world. It's adding salt to their oats so that they become thirsty for the message that we have and not a stench in their nose. Another way of saying it is that there's a lot of people You'll see that they, they're like, hey, it's just, we got to get into the culture. We need, this is what we need to do. And so they, have, they, they do all these different types of things, and they kind of compromise the message. They start, you know, smoking, chewing, drinking, doing all this type of stuff, whatever, you know. And they, they develop this huge audience, right? The people are like, hey, you're cool. All right, I'll, I'll hang out with you. And they develop this, this audience, but then they have no message, They've lost all the authority that they had of developing this message. And then some, they have the message. They stand there and say, hey, this is God's way. And they come completely the other way and completely like, hey, we're not going anywhere near any of that stuff. So now they have a message, but there's no one there to hear them. 
There's no one here, there, an audience to hear the message. And those that follow Jesus, they have an audience ready to hear their message. And it's learning to walk that path. An elder is one that I, you can admire and aim to follow, just like Jesus. And these, here's the thing that's very unfortunate, is that these real men are very rare. But I see the potential in this room that that can become true and become more common. I'm forever grateful to at least know of two of these men. One... I had the privilege of being able to call grandpa or buddy. And the other one, I get to call dad. Boys, it's time to man up. I don't care how young you are, it's time to man up because the decisions you make today will determine the man you will be and the impact you will have. You don't realize it, but it's true. There is so much that you could be doing that will spare you so much more pain and heartache if you would get it under control now by focusing on these character traits and focusing on becoming those type of men because I do not want to see you grow up to be boys that can shave. I want to see you be true men. And ladies, do not settle for less. The man that was described here, the, the, this is the man you are looking for, or at least someone you should be striving to seek, a man that walks with God. This is the guide to spiritual maturity. It's a code for all believers, and it's focused here with the men. And what I want to close with is how do you want to be remembered? What will your legacy be? Because here's two things I can promise you. One, if you are out to make a name for yourself, your name will quickly be forgotten, but the destruction that you cause in the process will live on for generations. But if you are out to make his name great, your name might be forgotten by some, but not to those who matter. And you will forever be remembered, and the beauty and life you cause will carry on for generations. How do you want to be remembered? I invite you to join in a prayer and start seeking a life that simply says, may they remember your name, God, not mine.